Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sheila Shoiga and welcome to Ready To Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not. My hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort or simply entertain you. In my first episode of 2024, I speak to Loretta Kennedy about money. Money is it's a currency that, that we use. Um, but it's man-made, it's infinite. Like we could just keep printing money, you know, it, if it working for economics and economic systems. So it is actually infinite. Um, and, you know, my belief is it is, it's neutral, but it's what I project onto it that gives it its charge. So if I see it as being this amazing resource that I can use and, you know, pay people like gratefully for the work that they do mm. and receive for work that I do, then that is the energy that I have around money. However, if I believe that there'll never be enough and, you know, if you have more than you think you need, that you're a greedy, you know, dirty person, mm. that will be like my my relationship with it. Originally from Mayo, Loretta lives in Cork with Rory, her soon-to-be husband and partner of 20 years, and their three daughters. She's an accredited trauma-informed money coach with a background in business, psychology and counselling. And in this conversation, she covers a multitude from the different types of money scripts that we can operate from and our behaviour around money, what happens to us when we spend money issues in relationships and she also shares practical tips on how best to approach her finances. We met for the first time a number of years ago when she had her own food business and I started this conversation by asking her to tell us a little bit about herself. Right now, um, the area that I work in, I am a coach. So I'm an accredited um, trauma-informed money coach. I'm also a life and business coach. And my background is in psychology and counselling, but I've done a whole load of other trainings and courses and, and qualifications. So I suppose I ended up working in the charity sector for years, for I'd say two, three decades. Mm. 
and I uh, worked in a HIV clinic in London, worked in disability services Um, absolutely loved my work, loved my work Um, and always would have come home from work, you know, saying to Rory, saying to the kids, do you know how lucky we are? Do you do you know how lucky we are? We have, you know, a roof over our head. There's so much love in our house. We have enough to eat, you know, we're safe. Um, So, you know, we're all healthy, like to be very, very acutely aware of just how lucky I felt yeah. um, and how lucky we really, really were. Um, but at the same time, I had no savings. <laughs> at the same time, um, I really had no pension to speak of. Um, and then everything kind of changed. My whole kind of life trajectory really changed in 2019. When we met, yeah. I had started a food business purely by accident um, at my kitchen table. I think this is a little bit of my Mayo breeding coming out in me. My parents would have been very self-sufficient when we were growing up and I was looking for a product, a food product for my kids that didn't exist. So I thought, well, listen, I'll make it myself. She who didn't even do home economics for her leaving search, you know, this self-belief. And I suppose what I have identified now is that it's I am very good at finding a solution to something. And as opposed to, you know, writing about it, I just need to roll up my sleeves and get in there and start like making it myself. So that led me into a business life that I could never have planned for myself because growing up, I had always and it's interesting when 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 I reflect on it now, I had associated business with men. I'd associated money with men. I like all of the business people I knew, they were male. They were politicians. The Minister for Finance was male. Um, I didn't see any really successful business women when I was growing up. Um, it was all men who who I saw who kind of had that power. Um and it, you know, it was a really big eye opener for me then going into my own business and having to really like manage money, um, doing costings, invoicing, putting myself out there, getting behind a product and getting on top of accounting. And that's when my money stuff started to really surface. That's mm-hmm. when I really noticed there's some really strange behavior that I have here and I, I don't understand why I'm acting in a particular way. I don't understand why I'm not following up on invoicing people or why I'm struggling with this aspect of the business, but I'm fine with this aspect of the business. And, you know, in secondary school, I did pass maths for my then intercert and for my leaving cert and had formed the story in my head in primary school that I was rubbish at maths. I say a lot of people like I'm do you know what I, I was probably the same yeah I did pass for my leaving as well yeah and um I think I always had that dialogue in my head going oh yeah this is not something I can do yeah great at languages but when it comes to maths and I remember the actual sum I was in fifth class and I remember well it was one of those questions if two trains are leaving the station at the same time and one is going at this speed and the other is going at this speed what time and I remember I completely blanked Mm. And I, I now know I like I dissociate it. I just come and anytime those kind of questions would come up, I, I would just be, I can't do this. I can't do this. Yeah. And that's the story then that formed. So what was interesting is that followed me right into my business. Mm. This idea. I'm not good at maths. I'm not good with numbers. And so therefore you struggled at the, 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 the invoicing and all that that went with it, is it? Yeah. And 
then actually in the process of of all of the work that I did, realized, well, I'm actually pretty okay with numbers. (laughs) There is there is nothing wrong with me when it came to numbers, but it was it was a whole kind of pairing it back and peeling it back and seeing, well, isn't that interesting how stories that we've been told by teachers that we then go on to internalize and carry with us into adulthood, they become our truth. Yeah. Even if there is no real proof. <laughs> and we've had conversations before on, on the podcast about the impact uh, that teachers can have and some of them in the most incredibly positive ways as yeah. well, where, you know, if you're not. So somebody who I spoke to recently was um, Dr. Katrina Sullivan, who wrote the book Poor. And like, yeah. so she didn't come from a, a nurturing, safe home environment because it was just chaotic due to drug use of her parents, where she had a few people in her life and they came through in yeah. the form of teachers that were an incredibly positive influence and really that that guided her through her life. So it's so important, I suppose, for any of us who interact with kids that what we say to a kid can potentially stay with them for the rest of their lives, whether it's a negative comment or a positive one. It's so important to be aware, isn't it? The Absolutely. power of words. Absolutely. You know, and how you can bring somebody on or you could knock them yeah. As quickly as that. And, yeah. I, and I listened to that podcast, actually. Yeah, and she is an amazing Isn't story. Amazing? A phenomenal woman, phenomenal woman. Mm. And then I had an amazing Irish teacher. I think I was one of the few people growing up in Ireland who actually really loved Peg Sayers. Wow. <laughs> I nice just to meet you. I don't think I've met one of you yet. <laughs> I just kept thinking, she's some woman. Oh, my gosh. She's some I, woman. I was post the Peg Sayers day, so I, I never had the pleasure. Or I know some people might not say the pleasure, but I never actually experienced reading Peg. So all I've ever ever heard is oh no Peg do we, do we have to do that because I yeah I, I I was the junior start even though I'm a 70s baby I was just in at 79 okay, yeah. so yeah so they had changed things by the time I came along so at school anyway there was this you had this feeling or this thinking that yeah you know maths are not it's not your strong point and that carried through until you started to really look at it yeah yeah. And it was around about then. Um, so 2020, we all know what happened 2020, but I was one of those women who said, "I, you know, I'm done. I was still working my full time job in the charity sector, trying to get a, a food business off the ground, had just been given a huge opportunity. And I was homeschooling three children who did not want to be homeschooled. Yeah. So I said, well, something's got to give here and I will resign from my full time pensionable job. That was it was huge. It was a huge decision with a mortgage, three kids. Um, lucky my partner was working. But, you know, for me, I have worked since I was, I would say, 14. You know, my first job was at Knock Airport when it was being just just open. So I have always worked. I've, I just have that ethic in me. You're a grafter. Um, Absolutely. And I love having my own money, whatever little bit it is. I love having my own money. Yeah. It's 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 really, really important for me to have that, to have that independence. So to kind of go, OK, I'm actually just going to go out my own now and I'm going to put everything that I have into my food business. And that's when everything just got so amplified um, in relation to to my money stuff. So it was around about then that I was speaking to a good friend of mine who lives in Canada and she had just undertaken a training um, around money and money trauma and how it shows up in our behaviours and all, in all sorts of different, I suppose, aspects of our life. And I remember I sat on my hands for three days. I said, no, 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 I'm not doing this course. I'm not doing this course. I'm not doing any more trainings. I have enough trainings done. And then I got goosebumps reading about it and I just knew it was a missing piece in the jigsaw for me. So I enrolled and nine months later, I I, I emerged qualified and 
I had so many light bulb moments, just so many light bulb moments. Um, and that set off a whole process then in 2022 when I decided I wanted to sell my company. And I walked myself through the process of negotiating, finding a buyer, selling my company, you know, negotiating like um, a sale on my own. And, um, you know, coming out of that, just going, okay, you know a thing or two about maths, okay? (laughs) Fair play to you. Amazing. Yeah. Without a roadmap, because there is no roadmap for these kinds of things. It's, It's as much the inner work as any amount of strategy. You can have all the strategy written down, but unless you have the inner work to get behind it, mm. you will self-sabotage. And that is the big, big thing when it comes to any kind of money work. So much of it, if it were as easy as to say, just budget, we would all be multimillionaires. Yeah. It is not that easy. Yeah. It's not that easy. I think we needed to hear that to to appreciate what you're bringing to the table. You So years and years of experience, firsthand experience, you know, starting a business, selling a business, psychology, um, working in the charity sector, which clearly has really expanded your compassion and empathy for people's struggles. So I think you're bringing all of that wisdom and experience to the table. And I'm excited actually to talk to you because I know even from listening to the few voice notes that we've sent each other from stuff you've said that I'm going, wow, okay, that's landing with me. And if it's landing with me, it's going to land with listeners. Mm. And I think now at the beginning of the year when, you know, inevitably for the majority of people, um, you know, we've gotten through Christmas and Christmas is a time where you spend, you know, whether it's, you know, whether there are children involved or whatever, but there's there's always big spending at Christmas. And then the pockets are a bit, they're, they're a little on the empty side in January. It can be a case of you're waiting for the next paycheck or some people can be very much struggling to just get by. So I know different people will be listening with different circumstances um, and we can't cover it all, but we can try and give people, I suppose, practical tips to maybe reflect on their own life and and maybe do what you did, which is basically take that deep dive into, which is something I feel like I need to do also. Um, why? The why is behind the things, isn't it? Yeah. So um, let's start with. Let's start with the January sales, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, at different times of the year, you know, at the end of November, it's Black Friday and then you, you know, it's building up to Christmas. Sa- now there's Christmas sales or December sales and then it's January sales. A lot of people want to avail of the sale. Other people don't have any cash left over after the Christmas to even want to do that. But there's always a sense with certain people that there's a thrill in that type of spending and people queuing outside certain shops to get the item that they want. So what is that all about? the January sales and why do people love it? So to hazard a guess, I would say dopamine as opposed to a real need for these particular items. So there, there's actually, and I, I'll share it with you, you can put it in the show notes if you want. There's a really, really great, um, it's a YouTube clip actually about sales psychology and the evolution of sales psychology and of how when we move from a needs-based society into a desire-based society. So needs-based being just, you know, our food, our water, our shelter, that those basic needs being covered, then into desire-based being like that, that it's more like once we, we, we have exactly what we need, then it's the stuff that we really, really want. Okay. And how marketing then became such a huge force. Mm. So it's it's something massive. It's it's always to remember that 
you know, we don't live or you don't live on a mountaintop um, away and immune from all of this stuff that you're actually surrounded by. So it's even an awareness that you are surrounded by huge marketing powers. Okay, Mm. you probably live in maybe possibly a post-colonial country. Okay, surrounded by capitalism, surrounded by consumerism. Surrounded by this idea that anytime you are bored, hungry, tired, sad, all you need to do is like click on something and buy it and you will immediately feel good. All right. Mm. So dopamine is a really, really interesting chemical. Um, Dopamine. What's often said about dopamine is that it is super focused on the reward. Okay, on the end goal, but it is doesn't care what casualties are in its wake. All right. And we've needed dopamine for the evolution of the human species because it is very much focused on the reward. It helps with, you know, innovation. It helps with kind of getting beyond the campfire and seeing what else is out there because it's so reward rewards focused. However, what happens when we're so hyper like fixated on the the end result, like getting that item on the, the bargain rail, is that we're not thinking about the consequences. OK, so we're so caught up in this this hype. OK, and ultimately mm. what's happening is your nervous system is completely dysregulated. So you're probably in a hyper aroused state when we are in a hyper aroused state. And this is where the invitation is always tune in, tune in what's going on in your body. Is your heart rate up? Are you sweating? Are you dissociating from your body and completely fixated on getting that item on the bargain rail? Doesn't even matter if it doesn't fit. You know, you'll have yourself convinced I lose the stone to get into it or whatever. Mm. Um, That is dopamine. That's dopamine. The thing about dopamine, what we can do, because it is a circuit then that you're in, you're in this chemical circuit. So your behavior is being driven by a chemical. It's not being driven by perhaps you or your truth or what it is that, you know, you may be set out for for yourself. There are lots of things that we can do, but the, the number thing to do is that we can actually bring our front brain back online. OK, and you can do that by a couple of different things, but essentially like regulating your nervous system. So stuff like breath work. And I'll share a couple of different techniques that you can use here to really bring yourself back to center afterwards. Um, If you see something online, you know, that old adage, sleep on it. 24 hours will give you the best opportunity to reset your nervous system. Yeah. And, you know, then if you show up in the morning, you're like, I actually still want that item that is 20 percent off that then you're buying it, but you're buying it in a different state of mind. Okay, Mm. if you think about it, you know, if somebody arrives in your doorstep and they're trying to sell you a new electricity, you know, supplier. Okay, generally they'll well around my estate anyway, they'll arrive around dinner time when I'm up the walls trying to get dinner and homework done with the kids. So I'm already dysregulated that the dog is barking. There's someone at the door. And sometimes I'll sign anything just to get rid of people. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say yes to anything to get rid of people, you know. Yeah. And then afterwards I'll come out and be like, what did I just sign up for yeah. there? And I won't even engage with it because I'll feel so resentful because I wasn't actually in my body when I said yes to that thing. It's really interesting, you know, I, I have never been a person for the for the sales or for queuing up or that kind of thing. But then as you're speaking, I'm reminded of a situation a few years ago. And it wasn't until I sat down and I was doing my income tax because um, I'm self-employed and I was totting up figures and, you know, doing my expenses. And I started to see purchases that were a monthly thing, you know. And I'm, I'm going to admit this because it was shocking when I totted up how much I had spent over the course of a year on essential oils. Okay. 
which I love. Yeah. I love essential oils. But the volume I was buying them at was just crazy. And the amount of money I, I had spent in one year on essential oils was eye-watering. Um, and it was because I fell victim to the, you know, the offers and the yeah. you must buys and the things and the months. And you get and if you get this, you get this with the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Without realizing that every month there was a certain amount going out when I added it all up, it was just no way I didn't spend that much. And I had um, I did have to cut that off because I realized that that was not healthy. And looking at it, really trying to examine what that was about. I was even confused myself because I, I felt like that ne- never happened to me before. But then in saying that as a person and it's something that may come up in conversation with you, but it's certainly something that I, I feel like when the time is right, we'll do a deep dive into it as a topic. I have hoarding tendencies. OK, yeah, I have hoarding tendencies. And even saying that is hard for me because yeah. there's the shame attached to that for me, you know, and I've worked through it for years and I'm getting better at it, definitely getting better at it. Um, And I feel like I'm nowhere where I was. But now I know some people, when they think the word hoarding, they might imagine like, you know, the those TV shows where you can't get into a person's home. I'm not that. OK, mm-hmm. Um, I suppose there's a spectrum. But what it is, is that I struggle to let things go sometimes and I like to <laughs> to collect yeah and that was a form of a collection of yeah. of oils and when I looked at how much I actually had it was like wow I could actually provide enough essential oils for the village yeah yeah you know yeah. um and it, I did have to take stock and realize okay I have absolutely been driven by dopamine and that has just fueled my choices but it's also wrapped up in this need to have and to hang on to and to hoard. Mm-hmm. And that's it again. That's the why behind the why behind the why. You know, why, yeah. why do we end up? So I suppose going back to dopamine, one of the ways that you will definitely know if it's a dopamine driven behavior is that when that item arrives in the post or when you take it home after queuing for hours, it's completely lost its sparkle. Mm. You know, you're no longer even interested because the the hit has been obtained. And immediately what happens then is that you get the drop off, that chemical drop off then happens. And that's then when you may need chocolate or a coffee or alcohol, you know, you need something else to bring it back up again to that level. So, you know, we're being driven by chemicals when it comes to that kind of spending. Yeah, I was even surprised myself at how it happened because I felt like, okay, I'm I thought I had more cop on in a way, but I fell victim to um, the marketing, the power of marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Marketing. It's it's a huge one in this um, YouTube. It, it shows how they actually got like women smoking and how the cigarette companies like just made it like really acceptable and cool right. for women to smoke. And it was a completely like strategic marketing plan. And that was the start. Uh, and it was um, was it Carl Young's one of his um, relatives who okay. actually brought it in. It was bringing in like psychology and marketing and sales so it's sales psychology like how do we get people to buy the thing that we want them to buy when they don't need it when mm. we how do we get them to desire it you know yeah and how then do we capitalize on that and a huge part of it is dysregulation how can we dysregulate somebody so if you go into a shop there'll be music there'll be lighting there'll be all of the drama the, the frenetic energy and immediately if you you know you can go in really centered you're going to become hyper aroused very very quickly in that kind of situation um, it was like Taylor Swift tickets you know in our house we had like four of us on laptops trying to get them yeah. and at the end of it like one of my daughters was like oh 
we can, we can get a ticket. And it was like six or 700 euros. And she was so wrapped up in the, the frenetic, you know, everyone messaging everyone. Did you get one? Did you get one? That she, you know, if she'd had the money available to her, she would have just bought it. And we were like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. pull back here, take a breath, get outside, you know, take a few deep breaths. Let's do some, you know, because we need to like bring ourselves back down again here. Um, but hoarding is a really interesting one. It, mm. It's a really, really interesting. And as you said, there is there is a spectrum there. Um, yeah. But even being aware of it and, and with hoarding, again, it's not just something to say, just stop hoarding. It's to go behind. OK, well, you know, essentially, like basically why why we do and why we behave the way we do is because on on some level it helps us feel safe and it helps us feel secure. Yeah. And you, you mentioned it at the beginning. There was a time in Ireland when, you know, it was it was everything was scarce. Absolutely. We didn't have because yeah. I believe that, uh, you know, because I have been doing a lot of my own little kind of trying to understand where this comes from yeah. within myself um, that, you know, there is a kind of a, a hangover from famine times. Absolutely. Of the not having. Yeah. So therefore you hold on when you have it. Yeah. And, you know, when so the the program that I've done is called the trauma of money. And when I first heard the word trauma in in with money, I thought, whoa, like who where where does trauma come in when it comes to money? And then when I really got into it, we were talking about like big T trauma. So big T trauma being like those catastrophic events that happen in your lifetime or in your ancestors lifetime that leave a lasting imprint. So it could be that you had your land taken from you. It could be that you, um, your your people underwent famine, um, that you were colonized, that you had to leave your country. Um, and then the small T trauma um, is stuff like maybe you didn't have a lot of money growing up when you were a child and everyone else in, in your school did. And you were always the one who was a bit left out. You always were the one who felt like I, I don't have money for like the, the the labels and the clothes and everybody else does. So shame comes in there. So they say big T trauma is catastrophic. And the big T trauma is actually nearly all of us. Yeah, it's famine. If we're living in Ireland. Yeah. We've come from that. Even if we grew up with money. Yeah. We still have that in our ancestry. Exactly. And with epigenetics now, we know that trauma can be carried on through the generations. It's washed down through the generations. So a, a lot of us, I mean, I come from a part of Mayo that was decimated by the famine. So I know famine runs in my in my blood. Absolutely. Yeah. Without a doubt, there is there's a path on the way to, to Delphi on the Delphi famine walk. And I, you know, it, it just I just know that there is there's a part of me that's involved in this land and in that story. Yeah. Um, so that's big T trauma where our land was taken from us, our language, our culture, our food. You know, mm. uh, of course, that's going to have an effect on us. And, you know, I suppose through studying with a global community in the trauma of money and like speaking to so many other women and men who have been through um, post-colonial states and then gone into like post-traumatic growth afterwards. Um, how do you move through that? How do you actually name it, acknowledge it and then say, OK, is that the why behind the why behind the why? If we think about Ireland, you know, um, we've gone through so much change in the space of 200 years yeah. and almost like the 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 whole Celtic Tiger. Now, I wasn't in Ireland at the time during the Celtic Tiger, but I remember coming home at one point and somebody speaking to me about buying a house in Bulgaria. 
And my my response was, do you speak Bulgarian? Like, this is really bizarre. Like, yeah, I didn't know you, yeah. you were interested. And it really reminds me of a, like a young child in a sweet shop. Just that real inner child that never had the opportunity to to let loose and spend money, but didn't have the, the maturity that went with like, how do you actually manage resources well? So that, you know, again, dopamine, dopamine, I don't care about the consequences. I'm so hyper fixated on just getting this thing. And then all the hype was there, you know, and everyone egging everyone else on to to maybe be a little bit um, risky, yeah. you know, but not very thoughtful when it comes to, to their risk. So there, there's an awful lot in it, really. And I think that's the big piece with this work. It's compassion. It's self-compassion. For anyone who is, you know, beating themselves up about the amount of money they spent over Christmas or coming into January thinking, oh, my gosh, I consumed so much. I consumed so much food, so much alcohol. I bought so many presents. You know, the first part, the first place to start is with self-compassion. And always remember, you know, that where you are right now in this particular point in time, it's, it's a culmination of every decision, every Everything that has gone before. okay. so not just your lifetime, but in your ancestry as well. So where you are right now, it's it's because of everything that went before, every decision that went before. Mm. But like right now, you have the opportunity to make different decisions or to make better decisions or better informed decisions for yourself. So it's taking that back. And if you can't, if, if you're waking up saying, I spent so much, bringing it back to, well, you know, why did you spend so much? What would you do differently, mm, you know, or mm. maybe you do it all the same, but maybe with more intention or with more thought. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, I suppose I'm thinking of the people who, as you said, there'll be those listening who, you know, yeah, spent loads of Christmas, which, you know, a lot of people do. It's a time of year where you do spend more than the rest, uh, you know, of the of the months of the year. And then those who would love to have been able to spend, but just didn't have it to spend, you know, yeah. and we're just trying to just get by. Um, and unfortunately, there's plenty of people in that situation. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I'm reminded of a time in my life when when I look back at it now, it, it's not that long ago, relatively speaking. But I was really struggling financially. Yeah. Um, it was a time when I had had cancer, but I'd come out the other side. I'd gone through a breakup and I had been let go from my job and I went through an extremely lean period and I was struggling on every level in my life. You know, I felt really broken and very lost. And um, what I really struggled at, because, you know, I, I'm a trained yoga teacher and I really believe in the power of 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 your thoughts and the and the, the power of gratitude. But it's very hard to practice gratitude when you're really struggling. And I found it very hard because I knew my only way out of the current situation is to to try and reshape my thinking, to be proactive um, and and not allow myself to be consumed by the the heaviness of what I was in. But I found that an incredibly hard thing to do. And it's kind of the classic, you know, I gladly play, pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Yeah. You know, it's grand. It's all well and good to talk about it when you have it. But when you don't have it. It's very hard to see beyond that, isn't it? Because you're just in the day to day, get by, get by, get by. Um. So I suppose I'm just fully aware and I know you are, too, because this is what you do, this is what you do for a living. You're dealing with people in various different financial situations all the time, but you can only deal with what you're in. But what I will say as somebody who genuinely was in bad shape financially. Things can always change. 
things can always change. And it's coming back to that where you are right now. It doesn't define you. No, it doesn't. No, that is it's it's what's gone before that has brought you to where you are now. But in this moment now, you have an opportunity to either see or experience things differently or do things differently or both. Yeah. OK, or both. And, you know, you you bring up a very, uh, a very valid point around scarcity. So scarcity, um, our, our brains are really interesting. So whether we're in true scarcity or we just imagine we're in scarcity, our brain behaves exactly the same. So it sets up the same chemical um, cascade and then we end up having like the same behaviours. So you could have a million quid in the bank, all the food in the fridge. But if you believe that you're in lack, your behaviours are going to to mimic that. OK, so you'll be in something called either or thinking. You'll be in something called tunneling vision. There'll, there's something called temptation tax that comes in where maybe all of a sudden you'll have a massive blowout on something. It's almost like diet culture. You know, when you're restrict, 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 then you can end up having a blowout on the, the thing that you actually never really wanted in the first place. Mm. So that's, you know, with scarcity, then if you are in real scarcity, it's it's differentiating between both initially, because some people will believe that they're in scarcity. And then when they actually sit down and they do their accounts and they look at what they have, they realize, actually, I'm not really in lack. But again, this is something that I carry. Why do I carry this? Why do I believe I'm always in lack? Is it a lack of safety? It's a lack of safety. Oftentimes it is. Oftentimes it's this feeling of, so I, I'll always say, how do you wake up in the morning? Do you wake up leaning forward with a sense of urgency and there's something chomping at my heels and I have to get going? Or do you wake up being able to just lean back and, you know, take a breath? Because oftentimes there's something that we're carrying, say, like, you know, with workaholism, you know, mm. oftentimes workaholism, it, it stems from, um, it's it's something around, you know, money vigilance, where there's this deep seated belief that there'll never be enough. And that's oftentimes where that workaholism comes from. So, you know, when we I can speak a little about money scripts in a minute and uh, we all have money scripts and there are blueprints that we carry. That's, you know, the software really that we're that's running all the time in the background. But when it comes to scarcity, if it's real scarcity and there are people out there who are in real scarcity, um, the first thing that I would say to is to really kind of call back your power. OK, and it's really, really important that we call back our power because when we we have a tool called the window of resilience and we know that um, we operate from an optimal um, place when we're around a, a, like a, a six or a seven on that scale. So if we're at the lower end of the scale. We're in a hypo aroused state. And in a trauma response, that's your frozen state or a collapsed state. And it just means that you you just have no interest in really doing anything about your financial decision. You will let it go. Um, you know, if if a bill comes in, you'll put your head in the sand. You won't even want to look at it. You'll throw it into the drawer. You won't look at it. You're a money avoider if you're in that hypo aroused state. If you're hyper aroused, that's what we were talking about earlier, where maybe you're feeling really, really jangly, like you're just um, spending money left, right and centre. You have no sense of what's coming in, what's going out. You're completely caught up in that. If you can get into that middle point, that six or a seven in the window of resilience, that is your optimal state to be in to make a really good decision for yourself. Mm. So we bring ourselves into that state through through breathing, 
through calming ourselves down, through eating good food for our gut. Okay, like the, you know, the value of having just a really good diet. So many of us survive on like toast and caffeine, you know, so like nurturing our gut and really um, bringing ourselves back into a place and space where we can make really good decisions for ourselves. The first thing that you can do is take a look. And I, I tell all my clients to do this if you want a quick win. And as humans, we like to have a quick win because it brings us up straight away. It shows us, you know what, I, I can actually do something that will bring me forward. So one of the first things you can do is take a look at your bank statement for the past month. If you're up for it, the past three months. OK, and sit with it. Yeah. OK. And every time you want to go on your phone, every time you want to go make a cup of coffee for yourself, you know, cut through it and just sit with it and go through what's come in, what's gone out. Notice what's happening in your body and then notice if there are outgoings that you weren't aware of. OK, so perhaps it's Netflix. It could be Disney. It could be Audible. It could be a subscription service that you didn't even know that you still had. It could be essential oils. It could be essential <laughs> oils, that subscription that you've had going for the last two years, you know. And once you, because the majority of people will identify something. Yeah. And even if it's a saving of seven euros, what that immediately does, it gives you the social proof. It gives you the proof. It gives you human proof that you can actually take an action that will actually better yourself and it calls back your power. Uh, yes, because you feel sometimes that you ha don't have control, but actually yeah. you do. And so many of us avoid, don't we avoid things like that? Sharing that I was in bad shape financially and, you know, I, I'm not exactly rolling in it now because we're building a house. So every penny we have is going into the house. But I, I'm I'm very fortunate where I'm at. Um, but like loads of people who are self-employed get it. There's some years that are lean, others that are not. And that's just the nature of the beast. But this particular time was was tricky for me. But, um, you know, things can always then change, which is great and reassuring, I suppose, that and I suppose I knew that, which was good because I have all I've ever known is to be freelance, to to mm -hmm. be self-sufficient. And I've always kind of gotten by. Now, I will say since becoming a parent, I've changed massively and for the better in the sense that I'm far more focused, I think, on the work that I do, the types of work that I that I say yes to and being proactive to get the work that I want, because it's not just about me anymore. Yeah. So it's completely different. Um, but let's talk about the money scripts that people have. Mm, we, so you mentioned avoider. OK, that's the most common one. Okay. So money avoiders. OK, mm. and hands up, I'm a recovering money avoider. Yeah, I've and definitely I've definitely been there, if not still there a bit. Yeah. And I mean, gosh, I, I, you know, and there's shame attached to it, huge shame. So I shared completely by accident um, a true story in relation to my money avoidance. And this I think, is a safe space. We're yeah, okay. this is really safe. space, <laughs> And I think it's really important to share it because um, it, it just shows the effect of these things. OK, so um, when I first started my business, because I had this like carried belief, all I wanted to do was talk about my products and get in front and like talk and talk because I love to talk. Um, but there's so much involved with having a business like the money side has to be done. That's the transactional piece. That's the business element. Um, and, you know, I was really happy to fulfill all the orders and do all the marketing and do all the selling. But then when it came to following up and invoicing and doing it, I just I was like, well, I'm not good at that. So I'll just put that on the long finger for a while. So that's money avoidance. Money avoidance is where um, we don't you don't want to talk about money. You don't want to know about money. Ultimately, um, what is believed if you take a trauma of money um, 
perspective on this is that ultimately you don't believe you are worthy of receiving money. Okay, and that that's where that stems from, that you will do your best to deflect money if Mm. there's an opportunity for you to receive it. And, you know, that expression, how we do one thing in life is how we do most things in life. So really, I always say, like, how you receive money, um, how do you receive a compliment? How do you receive support? How do you receive love? Um, me driving from Mayo today, I, I stopped at this most beautiful scene and I took my phone out, you know, to record. And I was like, no, no, put the phone away. How do you receive this with your eyes? Can you keep this for yourself without feeling like you need to give it away? Like, how do we even receive a beautiful mm. sunset? Can we hold that for ourselves and allow it to just really spill over? Or are we so used to deflecting those things from ourselves because we're not used to feeling in, in a, you know, in, in overflow? Or we've been told that it's not good to be in overflow, you know, that um, we shouldn't want things. We shouldn't desire things. If you're a woman, gosh, you shouldn't you shouldn't want anything from sex to food to money to to success to a career to, you know, you should be small. You not have an appetite, (laughs) you know, it's it's huge. Like this condition, it goes back so far. So and then we wonder why, you know, we we believe like we're no good with it. Like we, we just we haven't had the modeling. We just haven't had the modeling. Mm. And that's the compassionate piece again. So if you are a money avoider, I'm a recovery money avoider. I got an email, a phone call actually from um, a retailer who I was doing business with. And they said, Loretta, we owe you 26,000 euros. Could you please invoice us? 26,000 euros. Could you please invoice us? And there was me still working in my job in the charity because I believed there'll never be enough money in the business like to give me a salary and, you know, like I have to keep going. I have to keep going. Um, And it was pure money avoidance. Um, Had you forgotten about it? I was in avoidance. I knew somewhere, but I was doing mental arithmetic. So mental arithmetic is something that money avoiders do again. They have a vague sense of what's coming in, a vague sense of what's going out, but will never commit anything to paper. Um, And I I had a conversation with somebody about this a long time ago, and she, she was from, I forget where she was from. She wasn't from Ireland. And she said, my grandmother would never commit anything to paper because she was afraid my grandfather would, would then know all about what was going on in the finances and that he would take advantage of that. He had an alcohol problem. So she said, I then learned that it wasn't safe to write down anything in relation to money, that we had to hold it all in our heads. Now, I'm not saying that's my history or my Mm. her story or my story at all, but I think it's an interesting one why so many of us just have this vague sense, you know, that we're, we're stuck in the money avoidance. Anyway, that was my my uh, signal to cop myself on. And that's really when my big money work began, because I was in this perceived scarcity. Yeah, okay. that's a big wake up call as well. Yeah. Well done. And, and I, I suppose talking about it publicly is is great for yourself because you're kind of shedding yourself of of any sort of shame around it. Yeah. It is what it is, but it it's is all it, it was also a huge learning for you. And therefore you can bring that in and help other people. Yeah. You know, because you get it. You have huge compassion then because you've been there yourself. Well, I've had this chat with people as well who have done jobs and because of life being busy or whatever it is and move on to the next thing and realize at the end of the year that they never build for that job. And then they worry, is it too late? Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people who have been self-employed, if they really start to look at it, will maybe realize that, oh, wait a second, did I? 
did I put that invoice in for that gig that I did that time because I was doing all the other work as yeah. well? You know, things fall through the cracks. Things fall through the cracks. And then as well, and I've had this conversation with many people, they, you know, when we kind of go really drill down into why do they avoid invoicing? Sometimes what comes up is I'm afraid that they're going to tell me my work was below par. I'm afraid they're going to criticize my work, even though I believe my work is amazing. And it comes down again then to the self-worth. Right. It yeah. comes down to that. Am I worthy to receive money for my beautiful work? <laughs> am I worthy to receive adequate compensation? You know, we have the the Irish mammy martyr who's used to just giving it all, all away for free or minimizing the amount of work she does or undercharging and over serving. And again, mm. that's a huge piece in, in the money avoidance that, you know, they'll rather give the work away for free and be absolutely broken and, you know, fatigued themselves and in deficit than actually charge for it. Yeah, I've been told a few times um, by some very sound people, funnily enough, all women, um, that uh, certain work that I would have done, um, say, for example, one of the gigs that I, I was asked to do was to speak at an event. And, uh, and and I gave the fee and that was fine. And they said, Grant, yeah, perfect. Let's do that. And then this person said, I'm just going to tell you something. I'm not going to name names, but a male did effectively the same job as you did. And he's, you know, you're, I would see both as very similar vibe. And he did the same thing last year and he charged double. Yeah. Just letting you know. And I was gobsmacked, actually. I couldn't get over it. And she said, yeah, and that's, you know, we do these kind of things all the time. And we see this all the time. Men have no problem charging for whatever it is. But that women who are providing the same service will struggle to ask for and it, and I really even even at this stage of my career and I'm like, what, 25, 25 years working in the media business, I was even going, really? Wow. That had even taken my breath away um, because I do find the money chats very uncomfortable, which is why I work with agencies who yeah. do that for yes, who do that for yes, me, yes. which is wonderful. Um, but it is it is interesting. And I think that's a big one that you talk about as well. And women's relationship to money versus the male relationship with money. And it can be very different as well. I know we're kind of going in and around. We'll come back to the to the money scripts. But mm -hmm. can we just while we're here, can we just talk about women's relationship with money and how yeah. that differs? Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. 
Well, I mean, I was born in 1973 and in 1973, women were in Ireland were still excluded from working within, you know, government services. You yeah. had to retire. You know, you had to leave the workforce if you were married. Yeah. So, I mean, I know a huge population, a huge proportion of Irish women um, don't even qualify for the state pension because they haven't paid you know, in their contributions. They don't have uh, private pensions, um, you know, until divorce came in in Ireland. You know, you couldn't leave a relationship if you didn't have any kind of means to do so. So, you know, in terms of what has been available to us, mm. um, you know, again, an awful lot has changed, but it's that what we're still carrying in our systems, you know, where we wouldn't have, you know, been allowed to been allowed, you know, to own a house in our own name, to have a car in our own name, have a credit card in our own name, to even have a job, <laughs> you know, to even work for money, to receive, you know, compensation, to receive remuneration for the work that we do. The work that we do was was seen very much in, in the family home, you know. Yeah. That was your job. It was to make babies and to be productive in that way. It was your womb that was productive. You know, we needed to provide a, a workforce. Um, when we were, and I know I'm kind of circling around here, but, you know, we were in Australia a few years ago and um, it was only in Australia in Melbourne that I discovered um, a story about, you know, young Irish girls that were taken from the workhouses in Ireland during the famine times under um, uh, an Earl Grey scheme where they were sent off to the colonies in Australia to to be breeders. And these were young girls, you know, who were who were taken and exported, you know, to to help colonize the colonies. Um, Handmaid's Tale. Well, exactly, exactly. You know, so there is so much yeah. in our um Collective experience as women um, in Ireland, but this isn't just unique to Ireland. This is all over the world, you know, and yeah. this is the thing when you have conversations with women from other countries as well, other cultures, um, you know, this this is a common thread. This is a common theme, um, you know, that this is just something that we, we have inherited, whether it's because of where you were born or the conditioning or your own lived life experience or your family of origin, you know, um, but so much unlearning to be so done. So much unlearning, so much unlearning. And that's why, you know, we have to, like what you're saying, having these conversations about about money, about overspending, about, you know, not minimizing it, not like bypassing it, um, you know, and always having that compassion, just saying, well, if I knew better, I would do better. But I haven't been shown how to do this. I didn't learn this in school. Mm. Um, I didn't learn this in my family of origin. Like this is new stuff that we're all learning and finally having conversations around, which is so important. And I mean, money problems are the cause are, or can be the cause of a lot of relationship issues as yeah. well. It's huge, isn't it? Oh, it's massive. Like the secret spending and the secret savings accounts and, you know, financial infidelity. I've spoken a lot about financial infidelity in the past. Like it's estimated um, about 30% of couples experience financial infidelity in Ireland, like 25 to 30%. And that's, you know, secret spending, secret debt, secret savings, um, you know, different things like that. And again, coming back to, well, why do people behave like that? And essentially it's so that they can feel safe. So kind of getting in under those layers. But where does this come from? Because if you're in a relationship yeah. and if you want to have that blowout on ASOS, you know, why do you feel the need to hide that from your husband or your wife? You know, um, mm. like what's that about? Like getting really deeply into that. On both sides. 
On both sides. Yeah. Because like, you know, part of me is kind of thinking, well, if somebody wants to have a blowout, let them have the blowout. Yeah. But is it because of fear of the the reaction in the other person if I do that or what yeah. that will mean? I suppose it is so layered and every situation is so different. I All I know is that for the first time ever in my life, I we have a joint account and I would have never in any relationship I was ever in, yeah. never had shared accounts ever. Yeah. Not something I did. Yeah. And each their own, I suppose, Absolutely. you know, I also like independence because I, I'm an independent person. All I wanted to do was have my own money and, you know, be independent. Mm-hmm. So setting up a joint account was actually a big deal for someone like me. Yeah. Because I was used to always, no, no, whether I have no money in the bank or tons of money in the bank, I never had tons, but enough. Yeah. Um, it was always mine. Yeah. 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 I have control over this. Yeah. So I think I struggled with that probably even more than than my partner did, you know, mm-hmm. the the joint account thing. But now that we're doing it, it's up and running. It's it's great. It's really positive. Mm. And it's it's lovely when you have a shared goal as well as a couple. Yeah. You know that you're like, OK, well, we're, we're having this because we have shared values and shared goals. Absolutely. And this is what it's all about. It's it's that energetic piece around, you know, um, like secret eating or secret, you know, um, buying on on ASOS late at night, you know, and I've had clients who've confided in me that, you know, late at night they're, you know, on their couch. And that's then when they're spending two, three, four hundred quid on stuff that they don't even really want and they wake up and then the buyer's remorse kicks in. Okay. So I'm sure COVID was a big, it was a big COVID part of that, was wasn't huge. It? We were huge. all dysregulated. We were yeah. all, you know, looking for that quick fix. And that's where that became the solution. Mm. So it's never about like shaming or saying like you shouldn't do that. But it's about going into the, well, why are you doing this? And if this is right for you, fabulous. But if it's not, if it's not something, if you know you're going to wake up with buyer's remorse, you know, then how do you kind of nip that or identify that in the bud? And there's a, a technique, it's it's used in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, actually, it's a halt. So, you know, tuning in, are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? So H-A-L-T. And mm. if you're any of those things, you step away from the computer, you step away from the phone, put it down. Tend to your basic needs, first of all, before you start reaching to to consume something as in like buying something. So these are the tools. We'll 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 uh, we'll come to that um, a little bit later because I know the breath work is a, is a big thing as well. Um, and I'd love to to leave listeners with as many practical tools mm. as possible. What does a healthy relationship look like from a, a, a financial point of view? So I would say for me, it's around being able to to give and receive money like with kind of similar energy that Mm. anytime I spend money that I I do it with gratitude and, you know, delight that I can actually spend on this thing, you know, and that when I receive money, I do so again with gratitude and delight that I'm in a position to receive, Nice, you know, and that I can get behind my work, that I can charge for the work that I do and that I can receive for the work that I do. And mm. for me, it's that, you know, that the the figure of eight, the infinity loop, it's one of the universal laws that we have, the universal law of reciprocity, which means that if everything is always extractive, if we're always extracting, extracting, so if we're always taking from Mother Earth, if we're always pulling from the female caregivers, they're just going to become worn out and depleted. So we have to give back. It has to be a giving and a receiving. There has to be that flow. So for me, that's what a beautiful romantic relationship is as well. Um, that's what a relationship with my use of time would be as well. And it's also what my relationship with money would be like as well, that there is it's met with, you know, an equal energy. It's another thing I always ask clients, like how 
when you you look at like what how you buy and how you sell are they is there a different energy in both of those do you do you find it easier to sell than to buy or do you find it easier to buy things than to sell things if you mm. have your own business yeah and if there's a, a mismatch there it's like okay how can i bring that back into equilibrium so that we do have this beautiful like flow yeah, I would have always been um, more comfortable with giving presents than receiving them until yeah. I started to do a bit of work on the why, you know, and I'm I'm better at that now. I still am probably still a bit more comfortable giving yeah. than receiving as a person. But um, but if you think about when somebody then goes out and spends like a lot of time and energy and thought into like really making something for you or buying something for you and how lovely they feel if if their action is met with gratitude you really being able to receive that yeah. and they can feel it and they not. can feel I it i know i know absolutely like that's a gift yeah, and that's that beautiful flow yeah but like money troubles and relationships are it's so destructive isn't it it's it's yeah. it's it's huge um because obviously there are so many different issues that can present in relationships. But I suppose something you said earlier as well about how you are in terms of money can can really just penetrate every area of your life. Yeah. So whether somebody is really, you know, flahulach and they love spending or somebody is very frugal to the point of being sometimes mean and not wanting to spend, that can also reflect in other areas of their life and how they are as a yeah. person. Yeah. Yeah, completely. That would be a red flag for me. I mean, I I have to say I would be allergic to anyone who is who would be mean with money because I find that if you're mean that way, you're going to be mean and other. It feels like they're yeah. they're connected. Yeah, if you're tight with money, you'll be tight with love. Yeah, and I believe in being clever with money and yeah. you know there's using it difference. wisely. But there's a huge difference. Huge difference between yeah. meanness and yeah. being you know economical or whatever it might be. Yeah, or being thoughtful or just making really good discerning decisions. Mm. You know, mm. you can be super generous and you know be generous though in in all the right ways without you know and bringing the thought into it. Yes. Um. There is a difference between throwing money at things with no real like energy behind it or thought behind it or just you know like bringing like you know one small gift that so much thought has gone into that's you know that energetic difference is met but I would agree with you I mean how 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 we experience time even you know what's your experience like with time do you leave everything to the last minute do you procrastinate do you try to squeeze the last minute out of everything is that similar to how you are with money you know yeah. um mm. do you have any concept of what's an hour what's you know like it's really interesting when we and, and I also work a lot with um, women with ADHD ADHD actually and there's a piece there around time and money and compulsiveness and almost needing um, extra stressors or pressures to follow through on things so we we see that then with um, in relation to time with oftentimes how they are with time and with project management so a lot a lot of what I do is putting in place like guardrails and speed bumps say for people who know that they want to change their money behaviors but don't really know where to start so the speed bumps are put in that just helps people slow down if they're making decisions that they know that they're going to regret but they can't seem to stop themselves so it's like how do I kind of like rein myself in a little bit here um you know almost like in a meditation practice how do I bring myself back to my breath and bring myself back to myself and then the guardrails are well what do I need to to kind of keep me on a like a safe path as well? So I'm not kind of falling off the whole time when, when I have the wobbles, you know. Yeah. So we have the money avoidance. Another script is? Uh, money vigilance. 
So money vigilant, that's somebody who will always believe like that there'll never be enough. There'll never be enough. Um, money vigilance is, you know, there is scarcity there the whole time, no matter how much money is in the bank. Um, and oftentimes we will see this with workaholics. We will see this with people maybe who survived like a big T trauma. Um, maybe they've lost everything. Maybe they've witnessed somebody in their own family like lose everything. And then they become hyper fixated on, on the money. And it, mm. it just becomes everything to them um, being super frugal, almost to the extent that, you know, their own health would suffer. And there's a lot of research out there now that says, you know how we're always told you should save your latte money, you know, that kind of thing. Or that going to a yoga class when you don't have a lot of money is actually not the best way to spend your money. You should be saving that. There's a lot of research out there now that says that those kind of spends are so important for your mental I was health. Just, I was just thinking, go, yeah. go to the yoga for class. For your mental like for, health, for your community, correct. for like connection with other people. I'll, I'll be honest, it was... It was not necessarily the yoga class, but it was certainly one of the things that really helped me out of a dark hole I was in and which led me then to train in yoga um, because it was such a gift. And at the time I was struggling financially, but it was money extremely well spent because it helped me massively and helped me kind of shift out of the mindset that I was in at the time. So, yeah, so there's there's certain spends that are. Yeah, people don't value, but actually are of massive value. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because you receive so much back like that compounds. Yes. Um, the return on that investment of your time and your money that mm. comes back to you like a hundredfold. Whereas maybe buying, you know, a load of clothes sure. online and then they arrive and none of them fit and they just stay in your wardrobe because you don't send them back. Yeah, like yeah that yeah. just has such a, an awful effect. So are you just on the hamster wheel then if you're that type of person? Generally, yeah. You're just in this mode of I got to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going until going. until burnout, probably until burnout, because you will feel like there's it's this almost like a visceral feeling in your body that there's always something at your heels. There's always something snapping at your heels that keeps you going, that keeps you really vigilant, that keeps you hyper aroused. Okay. You're always hyper aroused. Money is just so magnified. OK, it just takes up all of your time. Okay. How many money scripts would there be? And can you be a combination? Yeah, you can be a combination. There is generally they say like four different money scripts. And I can actually share a link with you where um, listeners can do a quiz and get their own money script and get an idea of what they are. Oh, great. Yeah. I think it can be really helpful when you have a framework, then you kind of go, oh, I'm a money avoider and I have a little bit of money vigilant in me as well. And that's OK. You know, it's OK. And to name it, then you can know, OK, well, these are the things now I need to look out for for myself if I want to change my behaviours or how I feel in my body in relation to money. Um, the other one then is a money status seeker. I don't meet an awful lot of money status seekers, but there are lots of money status seekers out there. So a money status seeker will generally believe that their net worth and self-worth are connected. Oh, yeah. So... Depends on the, the car they drive. That's who they are. Their address. That's who they are, you know. And if they're if ever they had to like move house or get um, a different car, then they would just feel like absolutely worthless. OK, I'm finding this one interesting because I like you don't know many of them, but I was aware of plenty of them when I was in Dublin and this is not me. No shade to dubs because I lived in Dublin for like the guts 20 years. We loved, loved Dublin. It. Loved it. But but I heard uh, particularly from guys who were saying, um, you know, certain certain dates they'd go on. They'd notice that the woman would look at if they were wearing a watch, wow. what kind of watch they were wearing. And they'd ask, 
what car do you drive? Okay. What's the make and model? And this is the kind of stuff they they they'd want to get out. Interesting. Now that's 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 dreadful because I'm that's coming from one perspective, and I'm it sounds like I'm demonizing women. I'm sure men do the same thing. Yeah. I'm only basing it on what I heard back myself was that there was, and I was thinking, cheapers. Is it is it because I'm from the country? That's not something that I would ever have crossed my mind. I would never have looked at a male or female. I'd never look at what watch a person is wearing, or I yeah. wouldn't be the most observant anyway. Like a friend of mine would know exactly what colour, you know, dress a person is wearing down to the minute detail. I wouldn't. I'd remember a person's colour eyes or how I felt in their company, but I'd never remember the material things. Yeah. That's just maybe the difference of, of people. But is that a status seeker, somebody who's fixated on the items, on the things? Yeah, yeah. It's it's about your net worth um, is like the the brands that you're wearing yeah. and how much money you have in the bank. And if you lose any of that, I'm no longer interested in you or I no longer value myself. But that's so dangerous, it's isn't so it? so dangerous. For the person themselves as well. Yeah. yeah. If you really believe that you're only worthy if you have X amount in the bank that's and so you sad. drive a certain car. And again, it's coming back to self-worth. It's coming back yeah. to... You're worthy just because you exist. Sure. Because you're born in these times. We are all born worthy. Of course. Um, it, it's not dependent on you driving a particular kind of a car. It's easy for me to say that now, of course. Yeah. But I also remember what it was like. And my own self-esteem took an absolute battering when I was struggling financially. And it does impact you. It's hard to feel yeah. worthy when you're struggling to kind of get by or in the way that you would have been used to, I suppose. Um, so I suppose it's all it's all relative. It all it depends is, yeah. on where we're at. So we have avoidant, vigilant, uh, status seeker. And the fourth one is money worshipper. And a money okay. worshipper is absolutely obsessed with money. Um, and the the belief is that, you know, all my problems will just disappear if I had X amount of money in the bank. If, you know, it, it's dependent on something happening for them to feel like that they feel safe or that they feel worthy so that their whole life is just you know, about making money, being in money, being with money, and that if they don't have access to that, um, they don't feel worthy and they don't feel, yeah, they don't feel safe. Yeah. So it's very similar to status seeker. Very similar to status seeker. Very, very similar. So it's all yeah. wrapped up in my worth is equates to the money yeah. in the bank stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Interesting. I definitely think I'm probably out of the four I think avoidant is mine as well. Yeah, <laughs> there's an awful lot of avoidance out there. And, you know, usually we're, we're a combination of maybe two different scripts. So you'll find two different scripts in there. Um, and, you know, again, like looking at, you know, like where in the world you live, what, what your age is, what you've inherited, what you've grown up with yourself, your family of origin, maybe even if you're urban or rural, you know, yeah, that could yeah, have okay. an effect on it as well. What I will say, though, is and this is not me blowing my own trumpet, but I have improved massively. Yeah. You know, because I'm more aware now, I definitely know that through other work that I've done, it does filter through all areas in your life. And I've become more aware of my blind spots and the stuff that needs that needs work and how one feeds into the other. Um, but yeah. it is interesting how when you speak about your own situation, I am reminded of of things I've done yeah. and around invoicing as well yeah, and yeah. work that I've done and things slipping through the cracks. Mm. And you look back and you go, all right. Yeah. What was that about? I know there's one other script that I would add in myself if I'm ever to write a book on this, which I would love to do, actually. Um, OK, great. And I I would call this script a money hoverer. OK, right. So 
I and this is just because this is something I've seen myself and something that I would have done myself as well. So there is there is this idea that we have like a, 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 a nearly like a temperature reading when it comes to money. Okay, so okay. that if say if you're used to earning sixty thousand a year or fifty thousand year or forty thousand year, whatever it might be, and then if you leave that job and then you go and work for yourself, that's kind of what your thermostat is set at to have as your annual kind of a salary. Okay, mm. so you will kind of work towards that and that's where you feel most comfortable. That's what your thermostat is set to, I say, for that that kind of, that amount of money. And most of us have some kind of a thermostat. For some of us, it's in the negatives. For some of us, it's, you know, overdraft. That's where I'm usually, that's where I feel comfortable. I hang out there a lot. For others, maybe it's in the, the pluses. So they'd always have something in the bank and they, they will find that they generally always have that same amount in the bank. And then for others, it'll be zero. Then for others, it's just above zero. I see a lot of people just kind of hovering above the zero mark. What that looks like is at the end of the month that they just have enough to get by on. Okay, that Mm. um, they might find that they're coming to the end of the month. They have a mortgage to make. And there's this feeling of like, will I make it? Won't I make it? Will we make it? You know, won't we make it? We've always made it. And then it's again, the chemicals start getting released. And then there's this beautiful feeling at the end when they actually make it across the finish line. And it's like, oh, we did it. You know, so the catharsis of that. So that's. The, the what they get back from it is that beautiful feeling. So there's always some kind of a, you know, a payout mm. for why we keep Living doing on things, the edge. why we keep doing things that don't serve us, you yeah, know, okay. that are no good for us or aren't don't don't really, you know, aren't healthy for us. Why, why do we keep doing them? Usually we receive something back for it. So even if it's only for a split second, which in that case it is before you have to get back on the hamster wheel and start it all over again. So another one of the universal laws is that, you know, nature abhors a vacuum. Mm. So if there is a case that there is extra money in a bank account and your thermostat is set to be at zero every month, what will generally happen is that something will move in to bring that money back down to zero. (laughs) You'll have to spend it. You'll have to spend it because you are not used to being in overflow. Your system isn't used to being, you know, in overflow. It's it's used to being at zero or in negatives. Subconsciously, you'll see a holiday or you'll see something. And before you know it, you're back to what's familiar. So how do we like how do we how do we fix all? I mean, look, you've already given us loads of food for thought this entire conversation. But let's get to the the nuts and bolts of it now, if mm-hmm. you can. And you can only really, I know, tap into it rather than give a one on one uh, treatment to everyone listening, but how do we fix is probably too big a word, but how do we help ourselves, you know, repair our unlearn any negative kind of um, attitudes around mm-hmm. money that we have? I know that there are plenty of tools you spoke about, you know, breath work and gratitude, but, you know, let's let's just talk in those kind of terms of what we can practically do to help ourselves if right now we're listening to this and we know that things aren't maybe all rosy in the garden in terms of how we manage our finances and we want to do better. Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing to do is to really bring your front brain into it. So your thinking brain into it and your nervous system into it. So we need both. We can't do one without the other. Okay, you just can't do one without the other. 
first thing to do is to sit down and to look at your accounts. Okay, so no more like mental arithmetic, no more imagining. Like if you're a money avoider, which a lot of us are, the very first thing that I would be saying to do is to make a decision that 2024 is the year that you actually begin to engage with your finances. Okay, that maybe you do some adulting. Okay, because for, you know, a a lot of us, it's easy to hang around in like the helpless maiden place of like, oh, sure, I don't know anything about this. Like, how would I know about this? Um, No, like we we can actually if we need a financial advisor, we can hire a financial advisor. I mean, the best spend I ever had was my accountant. My accountant does all of my my finance stuff, but I keep on top of it. Mm. So that's the first place to start. I would say get your bank statements for the the last month. Okay. And okay, it's going to be Christmas, um, which might feel really sticky, but move through it. Sit with yourself as you're moving through it. Have a look at what went out. Have a look at what came in and noticing how you feel about each of those spends and everything you received and noticing if there's like you're, you're kind of there's a contraction in your body. You're going, oh, my God, I did. I really spend that. And just making a note again, no judgment, compassion for yourself. Um, this is getting real with what what's going out. OK, and then coming back into, I would say, looking at the subscriptions, that's the easiest place to start if you want a quick win for yourself, if you want to feel like, OK, I'm actually going to take some control here. If there is a subscription going out, decide, do you want to keep it or do you want to bin it? Mm. And if you decide to bin it, follow through on it. And immediately then you have made a saving. You've been proactive. You have sent a message to yourself that you're a grown ass person. Yeah, OK, yeah, yeah. and that you can actually take control of this. Because often we've signed up to things that we might not use anymore or maybe we didn't even intend on signing up to, you know, those free trials or oh, seven day free trials. And the next thing I've yeah. been guilty of that until I look at it and I go, wait a second, I'm yeah. paying for that thing. Sure, I didn't even want it at all. Yeah, um, my I have a good friend, Pat Kane from Reusey and like she's Miss Sustainability and mm. Pat's, you know, always says like the first or is not recycled, it's refuse. So again, even with emails, you know, go through your email list, get rid of everything that you've signed up for, because oftentimes we'll say yes to the things that are free and we're just consuming, consuming, consuming. So being really discerning about what I'm saying yes to, even if it's free, especially if it's free. Yeah. Okay. just saying I'm good, just refusing. The second thing I would say then is it's um. There's a there's a a really good book, Millionaire Mindset. And one of the things he says is that, you know, how you manage one dollar is as important as how you manage like one million dollars. Okay, because it's the same principle. Yeah, you're just scaling. So being super discerning about how you spend that one one dollar and maybe 10 cent goes to savings, 10 cent for food, 10 cent for like, you know, um, the beautiful things in life. But, you know, setting that up. So the other thing I would say to do is set up some kind of a savings account for yourself. And even if it is just 10 euros a month that you're putting away, that that becomes a discipline that you start to do and Mm. that it's in a savings account that you can't access, you know, that you can't get immediate access to. So you can then watch that as it accumulates. And again, you're sending a message to yourself. "Okay, I can do this. I'm being a grown up here. I'm choosing to say no. To, to maybe buying that one thing that I know isn't really going to bring me great joy 
And maybe saying no is the greater act of love for myself because then I'm choosing to save that money and put it towards like a really beautiful holiday or something like that. And something else that I I think can be really helpful is instead of calling something, you know, a savings account, you know, call it like my beautiful life account, you know, because sometimes if we feel like I'm saving for a car or it's for the mortgage, it can feel heavy. So again, just changing that as yeah. in it's for it's the, my beautiful life account, even if it's 10 euros that goes in um, every month, it's to make a start with it so that you're starting like with that discipline. I remember listening to John Martini speak at the Pendulum Summit. I was emceeing uh, it one of the years I was emceeing it and he was he was one of the speakers and how he spoke about he, he did a whole piece about money um, and how he said we should, you know, how, you know, changing how we view debt yeah. was really interesting because often it is, as you just said, really heavy and, you know, um, it can bring a lot of people down. But his thing was rather than see the money going out, that's perhaps paying off a car loan or whatever it is, being grateful for that because that's providing you with the car that you're driving, yeah. the experience that you're getting. And it was a real wow moment for me going, yeah, that's incredible because straight away the energy of it completely shifts to one of gratitude rather than one of lack. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. so interesting. Gratitude is amazing, you know, because immediately you're moving out of like a contracted state into an expansive state. Yes. And we know physiologically and chemically what happens when we are in a more expanded state mm. is that we we actually get the bird's eye view. We see yeah. all the opportunities. We get to experience life in all of its ripeness and richness. But when we're in that real contracted state, when we're on those lower frequency levels of like shame and pain. You know, we we don't see what's right in front of us. We don't see the glimmers. We don't see all of the wonderful things that we have available to us, like Mm. even our breath, like the fact that we have this amazing ecosystem in our body, our heart, our lungs, our reproductive, that whole system that's just there like to support us. You know, we wake up with that every single morning. You know, we're, we're, we are so lucky with what we have if we wake up every single morning, mm. you know, and it's it's huge to find gratitude first thing in the morning. But as you said, like when you're in the throes of like a hard time, it can be so hard to, to, to find that. But in actual effect, what happens physiologically and chemically in your body, mm. if you can even tune into it, it it's going to bring you up. Well, I remember, again, back to that difficult time of mine uh, that I'm talking about a lot. Um, I did, I did do, it was a, it was a Bob Proctor oh, affirmation, yeah. actually. Yeah. You know, I'm so happy and grateful now that money comes to me in increasing quantities through multiple sources. I'm so happy and grateful now. I used to say it over and over. And I'd say it when I was crying. Yeah. When I was really struggling going, I'm not really believing this, but I'm going to keep on saying it. Because I suppose I, as somebody who have always felt that there's a real power in affirmations. And that was put to the test when I had my babies. You know, I really worked on that. And I really feel that doing the affirmations is what led me to have the type of birth experiences that I wanted because I trained my mind to believe what my body at the time didn't really believe in. Mm. But, you know, when you pour that positivity and that power and that strength into your mind, even if you're feeling very vulnerable and very scared, the subconscious mind believes what you feed it. And it's so important to be mindful of your words, particularly in a difficult time, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not saying now doing the affirmations, the reason why, you know, the only reason, but I certainly feel like it was a part of it. And it certainly helped shift my mindset from a negative 
um, feeling quite heavy into feeling lighter and feeling a bit more empowered. And I think empowerment is a huge thing as well, isn't it? It's huge when you can just open up the space a little bit as opposed to feeling like you're in a corner and you're really like in a contract. It's maybe feeling all of the shame as well. I mean, Rachel Rogers talks about using and instead of but. So mm. not bypassing your situation, perhaps saying, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling great and I have no money. You know, or, you know, instead of saying, but saying, and I know I can improve or and I know things can get better. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Instead of saying, I'd love to go on holidays, but I've no money. Mm. I'd love to do this, but I can't because I'm broke. It'd be like, I'd love to go on holidays and I don't have any money. And immediately it opens up an opportunity. Yeah. As opposed to putting that but in, which is an absolute, which acts as a blocker to actually being able to to kind of go anywhere with it. Mm. So always, you know, trying to open it up, even when and especially when, you know, it's things times are hard. And, you know, let's be real here. Like there are people who are living in 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 real scarcity. And, yeah. you know, that that is that is the truth, unfortunately, of the times that we live in, that there are people who are living in in, in real, real poverty in, in Ireland. Um, you know, and it, it's not how it should be because we have enough resources. We have enough resources mm. to go around. Yeah. Yeah. And that is something to be mindful of, isn't it? Because, you know, you're talking to so many different people when we're having a conversation like this um, with different circumstances. And it's important that. You know, and I, I, I feel it from you anyway, and I know from everything you've said that you are completely aware that it's not a one size fits all. No. Um, and every situation is is radically different. And the where we came from bit is so important. Our relationship with money is is, is hugely uh, flavored by where we grew up and how we grew up and, you know, uh, those around us and their attitude to money. And then there's all the ancestral stuff on top of it. Yeah, so, yeah, there's a, there's it, a lot it's in massive. It. And that's that is the piece that, you know, you are not like one person um, living in isolation. Yeah. That there's there's so much. I mean, you know, I have three daughters like I, I'm just so like, oh, my gosh, like they're so um you know, being marketed to all the time, yeah. you know, and yeah. they have me looking out for them. So, you know, we live in these times, in these really fast paced times. So, you know, the the first point is always to start with, well, where am I at? Where am I actually at? You mm. know, and if I'm really in a bad way, who can I reach out to? Can Is there like a financial advisor I can speak to? Can I speak to Mabs? Can I speak to somebody? You know, there's so many different charities out there where people can, you know, call into. They can phone up, get advice and get like start put, putting themselves in some kind of like a financial path to really helping them get out of that. Yes. Um, I have a lot of free resources as well that I can offer, um, you know, because that is the starting point is to actually name what your reality is. And if you're not happy with your reality or if you know your reality is it's really detrimental or it's like destroying you, yeah. then how do you move out of that? And actually taking that first step to getting in touch with some of the different organizations and charities that are out there that will support I me. Mean, Mabs are fabulous. Yeah. And that is that is the scariest thing of all is is actually speaking up and sharing with somebody because I suppose, you know, we can feel a lot of shame when it comes to yeah. money issues yeah. and we don't want to go there. But actually, when you step out of that, it's it is scary, but it's also really powerful 
because you've taken that power away from shame to have that hold over you. It's yeah. Huge. It's huge. And you'll realize that actually the more you talk to people, the more you realize that everybody has had different issues in relation to money and, and none of us are immune to it either. You know, um, there are so many statements, so many statements regarding money that either have a positive or a negative um, association, like the money is the root of all evil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of Irish people, as much as we want to have money, there's deep down, there's a feeling of money is 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 not something to to crave because it actually, um, you know, can lead to greed and, you know, being a certain way. Um, so it's interesting how all these statements as well have is that that possibly goes back to what you were saying again about that feeling of even if you have the money in the bank, that you still have that feeling of scarcity or that feeling that, you know, uh, it's it's not it's not a safe place for you. Yeah. Yeah. Or do you feel safe enough to manage it yourself like that responsibility of yeah. having money? Um, I suppose my my train of thought is that money is neutral. Money is neutral is what we project onto it that gives mm. it its charge. So if you have been brought up to believe that, you know, greedy people have money, that money like, you know, we use things like filthy rich, dirt poor. Like we talk about money in terms of like dirt, you yeah. know, it's it's really interesting how our language is even around money, even like children when when they, they put money in their mouth, you're told like it's cocky. You know, put yeah, it down, yeah, cocky, yeah, cocky. Yeah, like yeah. that's what we would have been told yeah, growing up. Yeah, yeah. So it's all about that idea that it's dirty, yeah. that it's gone through other people's hands. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, I suppose from from all of the training I've done, I, I really do believe that it, it is it's an energy. It's it's a currency, just as your energy is a currency, as your time is a currency, your frequency is a currency. Money is it's a currency that that we use, um, but it's man-made. It's infinite. Like we could just keep printing money, you know, it, if it weren't for economics and economic systems. So it is actually infinite. Um, and, you know, my belief is it is it's neutral, but it's what I project onto it that gives it its charge. So if I see it as being this amazing resource that I can use and, you know, pay people like gratefully for the work that they do mm. and receive for work that I do then that is the energy that I have around money. However, if I believe that there'll never be enough and, you know, if you have more than you think you need, that you're a greedy, you know, dirty person, mm. that will be like my my relationship with it. I mean, imagine if you had that kind of feeling towards your partner, <laughs> you know. Yeah. If you're like, no, 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 I just want everything from you. But actually, I'm also feel like that, you know, you're not actually a nice thing to have or a nice person. Of course, when you think of it that way. Yeah. And you realize actually how messed up the thinking is. It is. It's a resource. It's yeah. a resource. Yeah. So neutrality coming to money. I like that. That's really good. Um, this has been I, I thought we'd do a quick fire, quick fire conversation, you know, quick we've gone episode. deep, gone in deep. <laughs> there is so much in this. And I know that if we sat down and recorded another podcast that more would come to light. Yeah. Um. So before we wrap it up, the I know breathwork is, is something that you speak about a lot. And you said there's a particular um, very effective um, breathing exercise that you can do, particularly if you're about to make, you know, click buy on that mm -hmm. item online or you're in the you're about to, to, you know, hit the January sales and buy all around you. What do you suggest that we do? 
So it's a, again, it's a lovely practice. Um, it's it's a, a cooling breath. So it's just left nostril breathing and it's used again in um, in addiction to help with to curb addictive like um, to curb addictive um, behaviors. So essentially all you're doing is you're blocking off your right nostril mm. and you are just breathing in and out exclusively through your left nostril. So what that does, it's said to to cool the brain. OK, so we're, we're looking, I think, at like with the nadis and looking at your left side, your right side. Yes. Your it brain. reminds me of the nadi shodhana um, yeah. breathing technique. In yeah. Yoga, yeah. So it's exclusively left nostril breathing. So you're blocking off your right nostril. You're breathing in and out through your left nostril, usually just for about 30 seconds. And that will actually just cool your brain down. Give you a bit of clarity. Give you clarity. Go into a bathroom. If you're in the middle of a shopping centre, go into a bathroom and just like spend 30 seconds doing that breath. And then coming back to like your shopping and saying, okay, do I really, really need this? Or do I feel a little bit more centred now? Do I already have something like this at home? Is there actually something like this already in the attic? Do I really want this? Is this the best spend of my 20 quid? Or would my 20 quid be better off like being spent going into like my bank account? You know, is that a better act of love? for me, as opposed to like getting caught up in all of this. So always about discernment, bringing it back to what's true for you. You know, we don't need to keep up with anyone else, but like knowing, coming back to your breath, coming back to your nervous system. Yeah. Being kind to yourself. Yeah. Loretta, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a, a fantastic eye opening conversation and um, you've definitely left me with a lot of food for thought. Uh, how can people get in touch with you? So um, my Instagram is Loretta Kennedy Coaching and then my website is www.lorettakennedy.com and yeah, my emails, my DMs always open and as I said, I have a ton of free resources. Um, I run programs all the time as well for female entrepreneurs and then for just regular people who want to learn more about, you know, about money, the relationship with money. Um, but as I said, yeah, I'm always open. Uh, my, my DMs, my emails are always open if anyone wants to have a chat anytime. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me as well. This has been amazing. Like really oh. lovely. So lovely. And I know we went deep, but I knew we would because it's it's that kind of a conversation. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And thank you for sharing your story as well. I think it's so like it's so rich when we hear from like real people about yeah. like, what their real yeah. experience. It is important, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's really expansive for people. Yeah. Thank you for making me feel comfortable enough to do that as well. So, uh, yeah, really appreciate it. I'm just I'm still kind of taking it all in. There's so much in it and uh, really, really grateful. So thanks. Thank you. Make sure you check the show notes for resources that might be of help. And thanks so much, as always, for listening to Ready to be Real. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, You can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.